Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Designers discussing design. We are on episode 69. Designers with a last name that begin with L are cool. Um, or actually, I can't read, read the rest of the title, but I believe that's what it says. Um, and I know it's true because we have two very uh, cool uh, guests on, but I don't know if it applies to Lim. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, maybe totally time, does. So. Totally does. So I'm here with uh, my co-host Sen Fung Lim and Tyler Anderson. Uh, I gotta ask, uh, Tyler, how you been? I have been doing okay. I've been playing lots and lots of stuff. Uh, recently played uh, Strife Shadows in Steam. Uh, it's going to be kickstarting in a couple weeks. It's their second uh, edition in the line. Uh, they've done a steampunk theme, they've uh, given new abilities, there's tokens that will go on the location cards, uh, it's a fantastic two-player game, I really like it. Excellent. How about you, Ben? What have you been up to? Um, I, oh, I've been working on Outlander a lot, so that's what I've been doing. I've been uh, trying to maintain mechanical integrity as well as thematic integrity. So that's been uh, what Jesse and I have been doing lately. And then Jay has been just churning out ideas because he's part-time now and he can do that. So um, our design train on the other end of things is going really well. And a neat, neat thing that happened, um, a guy from Germany, uh, Hilko, um, he just out of the blue emailed Jay and I the other day saying, <clears throat> I love Train of Thought, and he's liked it for a long time. We know this, because he, he emails us about it every now and then with his favorite trains. And he said, but I wrote a review for it in German, and a German publisher asked if you have the rights, or if Tasty Minstrel still has the rights, because they were considering it. So he's going to kind of show it to this publisher at Nuremberg, which is really cool, of somebody just randomly doing that for us. So that's kind of fun. So shouts Very out cool. to him. Okay, that's really neat. How about you, Daryl? What have you been doing lately? Uh, it's been... Uh Probably uh, the most prototyping I've done in a while, all compacted into one week. So uh, a lot of the cafes, it just worked out that it was their prototype nights. Uh, over the weekend, we had our Breslau game day and did some you know, playtesting there. So I can't complain, but I did get to play um, one game that I loved last year that I was really itching to play again, and that was Al Grange. Or Al oh, Grange. Yeah. La Grange. La Grange. Yeah. yeah, it was that awesome. Was. I love that game. It was great to play that again. And something that I think is very applicable, um, well, not very applicable, I guess, but I expected it to be more applicable, was, and this was on my hit list to play, was Kemet. For a long time, I really wanted to play Kemet, and oh, I always thought of it as dudes on a map with dice. That was in my head what I thought oh. it was. But it's not a dice game. Uh, actually, they deceive you because they give you like a four-sided dice, and then they say, "Don't roll it." It's just for tracking the the temple, and you rotate to see what power the temple's at. Which I actually like when games do that with dice and do different things with dice. Which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more because we have a couple designers that have designed some great games with dice. I don't want to belabor or or stall anymore because they're here, they're ready, and I just want to jump right into things. Yeah, so yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So we, we have Chris Leader here and Matt Leacock, a couple fantastic designers with a variety of games to their credit. And uh, if they... Hey, there they are. are. Hey. That awesome. was nice. so, Welcome so you... to the show, Matt and Chris. Thank I'm you. Gonna, I'm going to jump right into it with Chris right away because you are looking pretty festive for a game of yours that just came out. Look at him. Yeah, let, lay it on us. What's going on? What What's the newest, best dice game out there, Chris? The newest, best dice game out there is Trainmaker from Graynome Games. Um, Both my, Ted and uh, I got to play this at yeah. New Year's. We were very excited. Yeah, my, my son Gilmore. liked it. He Wonderful. Had fun. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. That's, you know, train games run the gamut, right, from the crazy... Uh, 
ones that you know it takes like 18 hours to play down to what I created, which is something you could play with your family. So that's uh, that's what Trainmaker is all about, you know, custom train dice, man. That's that's what I'm all about. Hmm. Cool. And Matt, I believe you've made a game or two, perhaps. I've made a, a game or two, yeah. I... <laughs> yes, I'm sure everyone knows who you are, sir. Well, that's the funny thing, because I was just talking about that on another show where um, somebody showed me a picture of them shaking hands with Tom Vassal, and they were so amazed that they got to meet Tom. And I said, hey, do you know who that is in the background? And it was Matt. And they're like, I, you know, I, no I don't even know who that is. Yeah. But you know what else I heard the other day, Matt, um, when it w was uh, shown online, was uh, somebody said that they would pay uh, 50 bucks for socks with your name on it. What do you I think? saw that. That was great. That was That's great. awesome. Stop and think about a, a future in socks. Future socks business. Socks futures. <laughs> socks <laughs> team mashup. I, I can yeah, see yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Ask your question. Sorry, I jumped all over that. Okay, that's okay. Perhaps you would like to tell us about us <laughs> dice game, Matt. <laughs> dice game? Uh... You've created I've done, a dice I, game. I've done a dice game, yeah. i got a dice game, so we're talking about dice games. Oh, I just did, a game. Uh, Academic the Cure came out. Yeah, more than one dice game. Right, right. And there's uh, Roll Through the Ages, the Bronze Age. Oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He and just pulls the, out a roll of decks and starts naming that games. That is completely oh, vicious, in, and he it belies his smiling face when he plays with, like, you know, maybe me only. I don't know if he has this vendetta against me. He just throws javelins at me and crushes my my chariot and ooh, all these things. There's there's other things that Matt has with dice, but we'll find out about them maybe in the foreseen future. We'll, we'll but know. he's not wearing a cool costume, so I don't know. Yeah, so let's just talk to Chris. <laughs> so Chris, um, what do you like about dice? What is what's your uh... what do dice have on you? What do they have on me? Uh, they got the dirt. They got the dirt on me. Um, they, uh, ever since I was little, it was dice games. It was Risk. It was uh, Yahtzee. Um, and I think it's just something to do with you You just never know what's going to happen. So you, you could roll the dice. You could have a great game. You could have a bad game. But as long as it's a shared experience, you know, that's... That's what I like about the dice. They're uh, the great equalizer. You never know who's going to be good, who's going to be bad with a dice game. So as I'm becoming more uh, in the design phase of my life, I'm realizing that gamers really want ways to mitigate all that luck. But for mm -hmm. families and for kids, they just like it because they never know what's going to happen. So I think I think that's what I like about dice is just, you know, usually the games are kind of crazy. You never know what's going to happen. So that's, that's what I like about them. And, as much as I try to fight the little buggers, my games always end up with dice in them. I'm like, I'm going to make a straight card game this time. There's not going to be any dice. And then next thing I know, it's like a complete dice rolling extravaganza. It happens. That's awesome. And uh, going back to Matt, uh, we already mentioned that you've done a few dice games. But one I think that's kind of interesting for designers to think about is that you, you really kind of converted a game of yours into a dice experience. Can you talk a little bit about... Uh, why and and some of the design challenges of of turning pandemic to pandemic the cure, right? Yeah, I mean the idea was to try to come up with a, a version of pandemic that you could get on the table in like a minute or two, set it up really quickly because that's some of the overhead that the board game has. So if you eliminate all that, you know, can you get into the action faster and present a new kind of challenge? Um, and then also maybe serve as a gateway to the board game, so you could play this fast, fun, lightweight uh, version of it. And if you like that, then you can graduate into the board game. Um, but the the central challenge is one I really like. You know, trying to reduce uh, something complicated into something very, very simple. Um, you know, how do you how do you take how do you take pandemic and just throw the board out and and start over with uh, rolls and dice? And so I really really enjoyed that challenge quite a bit. Yeah, I I actually got opportunity. And I, I think Sen will remember this, too, because I think this was the first time we both saw The Cure was I had run a local board game convention called the Board Game Bash, and we got an advanced copy of the game. We had one of the oh, yeah. that was in the big, clear, yeah. container, like, pill, like medicine containers. Uh -huh. Yeah, with, with like a hand-cut circle. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was awesome. And I remember, I, mean, I remember putting it out in front of people, and people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa that pandemic's different. And, and very quickly... <laughs> That people could that already knew it picked it up right away, 
But then they're like, whoa, that was so much easier to teach. So a lot of people really found that as a fantastic tool to like introduce their friends to Pandemic. So I, you know, I, I, had, I see that as a real pro. I had an exact same situation. Uh, a gentleman I know, a friend of mine named Bob Oswald, uh, who lives right near me, loves Pandemic. I mean crazy pandemic fan and he scored one of those early prototype copies with the little plastic thing and so when he laid it out you know there's a certain amount of like hesitation like what can this possibly match the great pandemic and then we played it and we were like well well damn it did yes it was very good <laughs> I was I made, those, oh. made those six copies on my kitchen table with my kids and those went all over the world which is really fun to watch them uh, mm -hmm. travel so it's if you're like watching the collector Apple. items... <laughs> I don't know where they are. I think I've got one of them somewhere. <laughs> I have a question for you, Chris. Um, since you are very prolific with dice games, do you, when you're initially designing, do you think, okay, what's how am I going to best this dice game? Or do you just simply make a game and then dice work their way into it? It varies, but I think um, I, I like to give player's choice, and I think that um, my brain is wired such that it likes to go back to dice for choices. Um, I like to be able to roll dice and then decide what to do based on the roll that I just made. So that's not necessarily where I begin. Sometimes it's where I end up. But um, to give you an example, one of the games I'm working on now is an amusement park, basically, idea. And it's it's been a card game but my brain just keeps saying, find a way to put dice into it. And um, I think it's just because there's kind of a, a way that you can play around with dice in different ways that isn't what people expect. So um, I think it's, I can't say whether it begins there or ends up there, but somehow dice always end up in the mix. Now, while you're thinking of that, do you strictly, because I got a game this week, uh, Devil Tree Station, it's a card western shoot -em game, but they're all custom dice, so it's not a one to six. It's a boot, it's a door, it's a gun. Um, do you prefer a one to six die, one to eight? Are you going to go to custom dice, uh, like in Train Maker? Well, who doesn't love a good custom die? I mean, really, you know, you and the expensive that. cost. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I guess the publisher maybe doesn't love it so much when they look at the cost at first. But um, I, if if I could get custom dice. Um, in my games, I would always prefer that to a straight six-sided die, unless there's a specific reason why it needs to be a six-sided die, you know, with, just with pips. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I do, I too love custom die. I, I actually collect all sorts of dice over there. There's just buckets <laughs> and buckets of dice. Um, Suzanne, one of our favorite viewers, Suze has a question for Matt. Matt, what are the key things you consider when you're designing cooperative games, dice or not. Uh, so, example, do you actually design around alpha gaming? Do you design in terms of pacing and difficulty curve? And I know some of the answers to this, but I'd, I'd love to hear them again. Sure, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, things involved. So, I mean, I really, I want to create an engaging story, first and foremost. So a lot of it is trying to draw people in you know, you want to capture fun first of all. You know, are are you, are you presenting meaningful decisions to the players, and is the game, you know, basically these are like little engines that create stories. So, uh, is the challenge meeting the players' um, skill level first of all, so that they can make interesting, challenging decisions, and then does that ramp up, and does the uh, does the the game pull them in and pull them through, so that the stakes keep getting higher and higher. Was that uh, a train maker joke there? A little engine? And the yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> my hat. Um, <laughs> and then you need breaths, right? You need you need some tension and release, and tension and release, and that and that draws you into uh, mm -hmm. the games. Um, so that's the first part. Um, there's other considerations. I mean, you because it's a cooperative game, the players need to have a, a sense of identity. So. Um, you know, they're typically embodied by their own unique pawn. Often have different role powers. Um, I haven't played too too much with um, information sharing. Like, you know, I've got information that you don't, or any of the social types of things with uh, traders and such. Because I, I really like the group decision making type game. I find those the most satisfying because you can get really creative and build on each other's ideas. And so I, I tend to prefer uh, a pure co-op. But I do find it interesting when you got one player opposed to the others. 
but all that can really help with uh, a feeling of autonomy and making sure that you know you don't have that that one player who's playing quarterback. Um, then yeah, those are the first things that come to mind, I guess, when when thinking about the the games. You know, drawing people in, keeping them engaged, uh, getting into that nice little flow channel, and making sure that they've got you know they feel special and they're not uh, just steamrolled by by any one player. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that dice? Uh, would would facilitate what you're trying to do, or was it hard to put dice in a game like Pandemic: The Cure and still get that feeling when a lot of it is, you know, more luck involved when you have dice? Now, I think the dice actually help quite a bit in that game because, um, you know, it's one thing to 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 point and tell someone, you know, you should really do this, or even pick up their pawn, which I find very bad play. But you don't pick up another person's dice, man. I mean, that's I've just killed rude. men for life. You last. don't do that, and people don't. And so, you know, for you to actually pick something up and roll it for someone else, I mean, you're just being a you're being an ass. So, um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, you know, in the cure, that that helps mitigate some of that that behavior because you're not gonna, you're not going to do that. I almost punched a guy at game night one night for touching my stuff. You don't touch a group. <laughs> we were we were playing downtown London, and we're sitting there. This guy comes, sits at the end of the table. Oh, you're not supposed to have those cards and those cards. I just looked at him like, one, who are you? And two, you're gonna get hit. And I know how to play the game. Like, oh, I was just like, oh, yeah. You don't touch people's stuff. Okay. That's that's the one piece of advice. If you're watching the show, don't touch people's stuff. All right. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go uh, back to uh, Chris, uh, the designer of role for it. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet, and also your role. Uh huh. With Calliope Games, uh, I see what you did a little, there. little bit about uh, your experience with this game. I mean, I have a an anniversary or a special edition that I got at Gen Con, so clearly this game is kicking butt. So tell us a little bit about it. So that was my uh, I I'd been designing games for a long time, but never never with any idea that anything would ever happen with it. You know, it was all just a little hobby. And Roll4 came about at a time when I'd been working as a retail manager for 10 years. My job went poof because I'd been there too long, was making too much, and they said, uh, we're going to let you go. Had a great severance, and my wife said, why don't you go to Gen Con and actually try to do something with with one of these games? And Roll4 had been designed specifically to get her to actually play a game with me uh, because most of my games were a little heavier and strategic. So she actually encouraged me to go to Gen Con and I pitched the game to a few different publishers including Calliope and uh, it fit in perfectly with what they are all about you know the games that are gateway games for families ones that you know can play quickly and are easily taught so roll for it you know if you've played it is a uh, super duper complex game that takes about three and a half hours to play oh wait no it's not um, <laughs> It's well, the guy about, from is really wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, it's about as simple as it gets, and I have no delusions that it's like you know super uh, crazy. No one could have come up with it before, but it was a game that got my wife to play games with me. So, uh, and then once we were developing that, I got to know Ray Weirs, who's the president of the company, um, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And we love Ray. He's crazy nice. We love him. He, He's the best. Everyone calls him the mayor of Gen Con, which fits pretty well because he's just the nicest guy. But he he uh, knew I was looking for a job, and he said, would you like to come aboard and do some sales, do some Oh, I see what you just did there. Look at you. Goal, come aboard. See? Um, so I jumped aboard, and uh, we've been uh, riding the rails ever since. i got to stop. Gotta stop. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, so Roll Forward has been – uh, ridiculous. I mean, it's it's a dream come true. So we had the, the you know the red and the purple cardboard box editions, and then we had the Gen Con edition. We got the deluxe edition, and it just keeps selling. So it's uh, it's something that a lot of gamers will kind of like you know turn up their nose at, but it's also something that I've heard from all kinds of people who say that you know uh, I actually will sit down and play games, and this was the first one, and then they go on and they play other games, and and that's. Mm-hmm. You know, as a gateway game, you can't ask for anything else other than that. That's what exactly you're trying what you to do here. Yeah, yeah. Suzanne said that uh, she carries roll with it uh, f- with her all the time because she can get anyone to play, and that it's such a great family game. So, excellent. fantastic. I, that's yeah. When it when when we heard it was going to be on tabletop, you know, we 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 pushed to get it on there, and when it when it was on there, I mean, that was I I don't know. It was like just incredible. Excellent, Tyler. 
Uh, Matt, uh, two things. One, um, someone posted a picture on the Board Game Geek Facebook group today, um, and someone has made, and you can get instructions for this, it's actually the tower from Forbidden Island, and it tracks the water levels, and it spins. Um, I don't know how to bring up pictures on the show, but I saved to say it's absolutely amazing. The thing looks beautiful. It's like, oh, my goodness, it's, like, so lovely. Um, so. So first that, and then uh, secondly, um, with your with your games, like you have the Pandemic series, you've done Thunderbirds, um, everything is co-op heavy. Have you considered strictly designing a game where it is the extreme opposite, backstab, <laughs> go after everyone, crush your opponent? I have not seriously considered the uh, the backstabbing, uh, serious negotiation, and the friendship game, um, but uh, I've got that that bright future in front of me if I, if I want to follow that. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that oh path. come on, you made me loop. <laughs> made lunatics loop. Yeah, I, I did make that. Yeah, I don't have any negotiation games. I've always strayed away from those. Uh, I I lean toward uh, the co-ops because they are more fun to play with the oh, family. Oh, just and... just to step out of your comfort zone, just say, right. hey, you know my. Resolution for 2017. <laughs> I, I, people know Matt Leacock for awesome co-op games. I'm going to do something that totally surprises them and blows them away, and it could be your best thing yet that you've done. It's just it's a stretch goal. I can try to try to end a few friendships this year. <laughs> Can't you immediately start tonight? You can see the BPD threat immediately. Can I make this into a co-op game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris. Can you tell us about the Titan series? You said that there's a game coming out that is going to be very dice-heavy. Who's the designer? When's it coming out? And what other things are in store for us with the Titans? So we have three games that are coming out um, in June. Is what we're shooting for, and it's looking really good for June. Um, the one that's dice-heavy is there's a new designer, uh, totally untested. His name's Paul Peterson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nobody's ever heard of him. <laughs> So he's got a game uh, called Running with the Bulls, and it's a uh, it's based on you know like the crazy bulls running after you, and the whole thing is dice. You know, you got a whole pool of dice that you roll, and those are your runners that are going down. I want I want you to imagine the board basically like a pachinko machine, kind of, but except you're running through like a Spanish town. So you start oh, at neat. the top, and then you go down, and then based on if you're odd or even on your on your dice values, you go down different roads, and you play cards to try to influence your your dice. You can re-roll them, you can move them from one node to another. And uh, so it's it takes place over three days or three rounds, going from the top down to the bottom. And when you get to the bottom, you've got um, different locations, you know, restaurants, nightclubs, and things that are worth on different amounts of victory points if you can get to them. So it's uh, it's a lot of dice. You know, you're rolling a big handful of dice in the beginning, and you're hoping that the bull dice that are coming after you don't match what you have because they will gore you and knock your dice off the board. So it's a uh, it's a blast. It, that one's a lot of fun to play, and uh, it's one of those that you, you play like you know one of the trips down from one node to the next and immediately you know exactly what the game's all about and you're having fun playing it. So uh, there's that one. We've got one by um, Richard Garfield uh, called Hive Mind, which is a great um, uh, party game, kind of a get-to-know-who-can-think-alike type of a game. And then we've got one from uh, Jordan and Zach Wiseman uh, that's called, uh, well, right now we're calling it the market game. We have not settled on a exact name for it. And that one's all about buying and uh, buying ingredients to build menus as a chef at the beginning of the day you're you're out at the little shops trying to you know get your appetizers and your meats and your desserts and you're trying to put together menus so um, all three games we've been testing like crazy going through development and uh, they're going to print pretty quickly we're getting all the art locked down and everything so it's going really well Excellent. Cool. That, sounds, that sounds exciting another exciting upcoming game we have Knitwit from Matt, just announced, uh, I saw I saw it first on, uh, well, I saw it by a different name uh, in April, but now it's uh, up on, like, Facebook and on their website and showing these crazy cool components, yeah. which my wife saw it over my shoulder, and she went, ooh, what's that? So <laughs> that I thought was a good sign, because I thought, ooh, I might actually get another game to the table with my wife. I'm all over for that. So can you tell us a little bit about the game? And it, it's not a co-op, is it? It's not a co-op, no. It's a competitive uh, social game, is how Z-Man's describing it. So they're only teasing it right now. It's like, I won't 
dig into that all the details right now. Okay, but, so yeah, just tease us. Uh, I'll it. tease you. It's a, uh, so uh, the game's got spools and it's got loops and it's got words and um, essentially you build a uh, I don't know a puzzle uh, that shows a lot of different loops and spools and you need to come up with witty uh, answers that fit the the regions defined by the the strings and such. So you're like knitting together these interesting concepts. Um, essentially, you're making a, a Venn diagram of sorts and then right. uh, competing with each other. So the materials are really great. The presentation's really lovely. Uh, they, they gave it kind of an arts and crafts feel. So if you've got oh, the image it, somewhere. It totally works because my, my wife loves, like, Pinterest. She's like, whoa, that looks like Pinterest in a game. So <laughs> Perfect. Interest, yeah, the Pinterest the game. Yeah. By the end of it, will we be able to crochet nice stuff around coat hangers and baby tubes? <laughs> I sure hope some people take that challenge. That'd be great. <laughs> macrame. Macrame at the game. Yes, exactly. Uh, Chris, uh, what do you have uh, that you're working on that's coming out that you can uh, tell us about? I have a game coming down the pipe <laughs> called City of Gears. Ooh. I can't say much more right now. <laughs> I was going to ask you so many questions, Chris. I know. I'm like, I have questions on that. But... I'm so glad you said that. You couldn't. Oh. <laughs> it's I, uh, and it's in a city. What more do you need? Oh, it's nice. I, I, I'll tell you, I have... Uh, Roll for it's my favorite. Just, you know, anyone can play a game. City of Gears is, is the game that I've designed that I love the most as a a game that gamers will probably embrace, and it will see the light of day. The question is, when and by whom? And uh, so my development of that is has begun anew to build a a prototype to uh, to get to get that out there. I'll just put it I'll put it like that. And then, you know, right. I I think right now my uh, I've got, a, you know, obviously we all have a notebook full of different designs and things that we've been working on, but um, doing development for Calliope and uh, helping lots of other people, whether they want it or not, Daryl, you know how I roll with uh, yep. <laughs> with their games, has taken up a lot of my time. So right now I'm just, you know, I'm enjoying helping others and uh, inserting myself and insinuating myself into uh their lives, whether they like it or not. Yeah, uh, hey, I was very thankful. I was very thankful. <laughs> I've been working with Daryl on Project X for a few days, and it's been yeah. it's been really really fun. Ho hopefully, stuff can be public soon. So, yes, uh, it's been fun. Um, now, I, oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was no, well. No, I was just no, going to no. say that you have all this time that you're designing, but when will we see more of Shut Up and Dice Hate happen? That's right. That's and why did you start doing that? People are actually asking, why did why did Chris start doing that show? It began at BGGCon 2014 uh, with uh, with Pandemic the Cure, actually. Oh my gosh! That was the very first one. I was making a video to tease Rodney uh, Rodney Smith. And, why uh, would you tease a Canadian? Uh, well, because they can't fight back. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually true. <laughs> it's a, it's, I think it's in a national anthem, something about don't fight back, be nice. <laughs> Unless you're wearing a hockey jersey and, and eat craft dinner. I yeah. don't know, something. But, and then uh, we'd apologize for you beating us up. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I did I did that live uh, with Scott Morris and um, oh, who was there, Mike Fitzgerald and... and um, Chris Kirkman, so we were just sitting around, and none of us had ever played that before. We played that and uh, Roll for the Galaxy back to back, and you know someone was like, "We got to look at these rules and everything." So we did a live play of Pandemic, uh, the Cure, and it was, you know, rolling things, and it was just absolutely crazy. And um, I did another one for Nations, the dice game, and then after that, I, I was like, "Why don't? What if I sat down and actually tried to do this, you know, Seriously? a little bit?" A little bit more well, seriously, uh, <laughs> and uh, I've had a blast doing it. And and I'm try, you know, I never try to step on anyone's toes as far as like making fun of the game itself. Just make myself look like an idiot, which I don't have a problem with. Apparently not. Uh, Apparently you're really good at it. But yeah, I I have a blast with it, and um, I, you know, I try to get them out. But lately, 
I've been making videos with a green screen with my son with new editing equipment, and it's been taking time away from Shut Up and Watch Dice It Happen because we're making little videos of Jensen flying yeah. around and being a superhero. Yeah, like kids are kids are such a oh, they you know, they ruin everything. <laughs> they just ruin everything. Just <laughs> I'm selling you. Do you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Get back we, in the cellar. We got to hear Matt's daughter play uh, piano earlier. That was nice. That's good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, Matt, speaking of of doodling and sketchbooks and stuff like that, uh, one of the things that you wrote about, I think, late last year, was uh, sketching user experience. And I always, I always follow your stuff and get the books that you suggest because they're always they make sense to me. Um, and but I haven't got this one yet. Tell me what it's about and why is it a good book for a game designer? To look into, you know, I don't remember writing about that. This is sketching the user, sketching user experience by uh, got it right over here. Um, here it is, by Bill Buxton. Yeah, by Buxton. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. yeah, um, he really talks about his relationship to sketching through the years. So for people who don't know, Bill Buxton, he's a user experience um, legend essentially. Yeah, he's a guru. He's done amazing stuff over the course of his career, but he just talks about. Um, he describes sketching as sort of a conversation you have with yourself. Uh, you get stuff down, you look at it, you react to it, you internalize it, and then you iterate. And it's a really fast way to get stuff out of your brain. And um, you know, if you don't have someone to bounce things off of, uh, you can bounce them off yourself. And, and this is one way, one way to do so it. So it's like a conversation with yourself through pictures instead of words, or a combination thereof. Yeah, and it's it's fast and disposable, and you can try out many ideas very quickly. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other themes in the book. It, it really resonated with me when I read it, um, and maybe it's time to come up and check it out again uh, because it's been a little while since I read it. But um, it did make a very strong impression on me and, and influenced the way I was. Um, you know, you internalize all these things and make them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ask you to talk about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to I'll have to read that one because again, all all the other ones you've ever recommended to me, I. I quite enjoyed, so I'll take a look at that one as well. I sketch a ton, um, and so <clears throat> I just want to see what somebody who's an actual, you know, expert in the field of visualization of data and that kind of stuff says about what the sketchbook process is. And then Chris mentioned it. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that thing that Matt wrote. Um, so I think Daryl has a question about games yeah, and dice. Well, yeah, I do. I was jumping back. Uh, you mentioned, Chris, uh, Nations, uh, Race for the Galaxy Dice. You know, a couple examples. I, I was thinking of, uh, I got to give a, a shout out for Viva Java right now, the TC Petty experience. Um, oh, and yeah, TC's got a whole bunch of stuff on Kickstarter yeah. right now. So yeah. check out Kickstarter, support him. We love TC. Um, but this is an example of a game where I like Viva Java, but I like the dice game even more. The ultimate for me is Bang. Uh, the dice game, I love this and never go back to my original card game anymore. It just sits on the shelf. But I'm curious for you, Chris, what games do you think got better with dice and why did it get better? Because that might help us as designers think through the design process. That's a good question. Um, well, let's see. I'll, put it th I'll, I'll say this. I love Civilization games, but I can't afford to sit down for three plus hours to play a game as right. much as I would love to. You know, I used to play Civilization, sure. I used to play, you know, um, Clash of Cultures and all that stuff. You know, it. I can't do that so much anymore. So for me, I love to get a game that gives me a little bit of an empire building experience with dice. So you mentioned, and you know, I said earlier, Nations a dice game. So um, I love the idea of the original Nations game. I've heard great things, but it's just daunting to me. I can't, I, I can't possibly justify buying that and it's sitting on the shelf because I never could play it. Um, but I absolutely love Nations, the dice game. Um, because I can build a little civilization, it takes you know 45 minutes, and and I've get I scratch that itch. Um, it's the same thing with with, uh, with through the ages. Honestly, um, I I love the idea of through the ages. I've learned it, and I've I've played it, and then I don't play it for a year and a half, and then I have to go through the <laughs> novel of rule book, and there's like eight different versions of the game that you're learning, and I I can't keep track of it. Um, so Roll through the ages is 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 a game that that can give me a little bit of that experience, and it's not it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be something along those lines. You know, I'm I'm choosing what I want to do with my people and building buildings, and 
scratches that itch. So um, for me, you know, the the dice game version of a big game always used to mean to me a weaker portable version of the big game. And it's really interesting to me that lately a dice game version doesn't have to sacrifice any of the decision-making, any of the fun. Um, sometimes it doesn't even take a shorter amount of time, like Roll for the Galaxy versus Race for the Galaxy. You're still having to yeah. learn. Uh, I think it's exactly 2,466 symbols. <laughs> icon. Yeah. Oh. But there he goes. We're back. But it's it's incredible to um, to play a dice game that gives you that full experience uh, that a that the regular like the parent game gave, but in a different way. So um, and sometimes there's games you know I don't mean to, I'm not like trying to be a super fan for uh, Mr. Leacock, but um, I can't play Pandemic with my nearly five-year-old son because it's just there's just too much going on but I've played the cure with him and he might need some help with what the dice do here and there but he can grasp it to a certain extent that he couldn't with the bigger one and it's because he's rolling dice and that's an engaging thing to him he's got a freaking handful of bright orange dice and when he rolls those he knows what those specific things can do so he can he can control that so I think a dice game um, these days absolutely doesn't have to sacrifice you know all the all the strategy in front of the big game just to be like a portable little mini version anymore Great answer. Uh, we have a question from the audience. David Tomei would like to know, Matt, how do you feel seeing all the happiness and fun you've brought to the community with Pandemic Legacy? <laughs> it's We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> uh, it's been kind of a roller coaster. It's been really fun. It's been nice having a partner, too, with Rob Davia. We can, uh, we can email each other and go, what? <laughs> so it's been fun uh, just watching the... Uh, the stories come through, uh, and and seeing everybody's excitement, and and then getting uh, occasionally flicked off, or you know, the, when people uncover something uh, unpleasant in their experience, that they, uh, um, I think they end up blaming themselves more often than, than not. But uh, they like to share their passion, let's say, with us. <laughs> but that's been a lot of fun. Cool. Um, now I have a question for all four of you, actually, and if you want to take time answering it. Um, because we have the master of co-op games and we have pretty much the master of dice games here, um, should your paths intercross, like how does it work for you two and for Sen and Daryl? Um, like, hey, I've got an idea, um, I want to work with this designer, or you just happen to be talking at a convention like, oh, hey, yeah, we should design a game together. Like, from a design perspective, how does that work for you guys? That's pretty much how you described it, yeah. Um, okay, thanks. Next question. <laughs> I sent an email over to Rob, like, hey, you want to work together? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you meet people, and um, uh, sometimes you'll hang out at a convention. Um, I'm designing a game with uh, a gentleman from Spain that I hung out with in, in Cordoba for uh, a week, and we hit it off, and, yeah, we're, we're designing a game together. So um, it's fun uh, and interesting to see all the different kinds of people you can meet in the hobby and, and the different relationships you can develop. Mm -hmm. so, okay, now really... while, while we're still with you then, um, in that regard, if you're working on a game and, say, Daryl calls you up and, oh, yeah, I heard so-and-so is working on the same type of game, maybe you guys should talk and maybe your games are too different or they're similar that, hey, we should join forces and, you know, work on a, an awesome game. I, I, I'm not a designer. I don't know how it works, but the audience wants to know. That, that actually hasn't happened to me. I mean, people have come to Z-Man with pandemic-related ideas, for example, and we'll vet those and we'll talk them through. Uh, but I haven't really... Uh, I guess that's the closest example of what you're talking about. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll entertain some of those ideas uh, if they make sense, and then um, sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. So right. take them out and, of And uh, yourself, Chris, has, has that situation come up, or, or how do you choose to work with someone? Or? Well, I, I was hoping after about 70 emails about Roll For It Legacy that either Rob or Matt would get back to me, but uh, <laughs> this is that awkward. I'm not taking the hit, man. It's kind of funny because I actually thought about that today. Not necessarily Roll For It Legacy, but 
um, using the dice that uh, Stephen Glenn has in Rattlebones. Right. Um, to have totally. legacy dice. Because yeah. stickering on dice then changes the uh, probability odds of the weighting of the dice. But if you had those faces yeah. that you could take slap off. Slap on faces, yeah. Yeah, and then you open a box, and I'm like, oh, there's new faces for my die, and you put it on there. There you go, Matt. That's your next thing. There you go. Legacy well, you can have a little uh, weighted sign. Rattle bones roll for it. Legacy <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, there you go. I so think... 70 emails didn't work, but what might work, Chris? Well, I'll say this, you know, and I've, I, I have uh, nowhere near as many games out there as some people do, but one of the things that's wonderful about, about the industry and about the design community is that, you know, everyone is, everyone tends to hold each other up and support each other. So you, you have conversations with people all the time and, you know, I, I might be talking to like John Gilmore and the two of us are just chatting and saying, you know, man, a lot of time travel games out there. And he might say, Oh, I've got an idea for something. And I might say, well, I've got this idea. And you begin to chat, you know, you just start to strike up those conversations. And, um, Sometimes you go back and forth a little bit, and sometimes it, you know, kind of peters out. Sometimes it's like it's on the back burner, and sometimes you get to developing stuff. So, um, what I like is that everybody is always willing to do that kind of thing, though. You, you put aside ego, and you're just like, let's just make a really fun game that we want to play together. And mm-hmm. I think because some of us don't see each other all that often, when you get together, it's like, let's make a game so the next time we get together, we can play this really cool thing we made. Uh, so that's that's my experience. It's just a lot of a lot of sh- you know sharing ideas and seeing is this uh, is there an intersection point where we might be able to come up with something fun and the a and the doors Venn diagram, open. so to speak. Yeah, a Venn diagram. Uh, my game about uh, about spools uh, will be coming out. <laughs> 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 so, Daryl, I want to uh, rephrase uh, Tyler's question for you specifically because I know you've been designing with lots and lots of people lately. Um, Odd actually asked, how important is physical FaceTime when co-designing? So uh, Odd, that's a, well, that's a good question, especially one for me and Odd because uh, Hack and I are working on a game together. So, you know, it is uh, important for people to have face-to-face time, but the beauty is in the world we live in, you know, things like this are possible. So... You can actually kind of have this pseudo face-to-face time where you can talk through, because of our technology connecting us so well, when someone gets, you know, a wave of ideas, you can fairly quickly, you know, you know, text someone, call someone, send a message, type it up, you know, whatever. I know for the Bamboozle Brothers, they have their forum where they're always constantly bouncing ideas off each other and even use, you know, the West Coast, East Coast kind of, factor in their favor where uh, I, I have seen firsthand where Sam's you know, excited in the morning to see what Jay might have responded to last night. You know, things like that. So I would encourage with co-design, do not, do not limit yourself to only people that you can work with face-to-face. But face-to-face time is rich. It's quality time. So uh, I have found that when I do get you know, face-to-face time with a co-designer, I'm going to soak that up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to use that time and, and really uh, do as much as I can. And I would guess that's probably the same with Matt. I would, I'd love to hear Matt's response when it comes to the development and design of, of Legacy, Pandemic Legacy. I'm sure you worked great apart, but there was also probably times when you got together that that time was really important. Uh, would, would you say that's true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time doing uh, video conferencing, uh, screen sharing, uh, meeting you know, a few times a week. And it's it's uh, necessary. I mean, we're we're on opposite coasts, and it's a long it's a long slog doing one of those games. So, you know, um, because there's it's just so complicated, um, and the fact that it's a long amount of time means you can kind of let the game gel um, during the off hours, and then you can meet back up and and sync up and have a productive meeting, and then I don't know. It's like like ideas have to let lie fa- fallow for a little while, and then then you spin them up again in the meeting and, and keep going. So that kind of um, heartbeat works well with video conferencing. But uh, Rob did come out here um, once or twice, and we went and had some uh, nam soup, and that's where we had a lot of our best ideas, <laughs> I think, was just bonding over soup and, and hanging out together. Soup is wine. good food. The How many soup. people remember Romper Room? I see Chris and Matt and Sen. We can all connect through the magic mirror. <laughs> they, never, they never called my name on Romper Room. And ah, they never called really. my name either, it's, Matt. I mean, it's, it's Matt, for God's sake. You know? Sen. <laughs> come on. Yeah, I'm well, sorry, Sen. It's a nice way to get together with people. 
I don't understand why they even call Sen. I, so you know what? It is. It is actually. It's. It's a point of contention in my life. My friends would. You know, their grandparents would come home from Florida with. You know, their name emblazoned on a shirt and. Never. There was we never can, a Sen. We can get you a shirt now, Sen. There is that technology. Do you want a fridge magnet with your name on it? I do. I do. That would. That would. You know. That would make me. That would make me whole again. I think I'm a broken man. <laughs> Wow. All right, every person watching and watching this episode later, contact me. I'll get you Sen's address. We're going to fill his house with fridge magnets. Awesome. Uh, Chris, why did you mention fridge magnets? Do you have a game with magnets, or do you have a fridge magnet company? No, no, but but it's funny because my, my kids both have non traditional, I guess you'd say, name. So we, my wife and I laughed because we're like, we saddled them with the sadness of never being able to go into a little gift shop and find anything with their names on it. They know my pain. They are my people. Yes, they are yes, my indeed. People. Yes. You, you, we're, we're, I, I have to meet your kids now. We have to, like, bond over this. <laughs> I, I will make them custom-made things with their names on it so they do not have to suffer the indignity that I have suffered for 43 years of my life. 43 years. Oh, you know what the funniest thing was? And I think I've mentioned this on the show before. They used to have these books where um, you could buy the book and you could get your name put in to the book. I had those books. I had yeah, because you know why you had those and books? Because Daryl existed. No, you know what? It, it was a fight because it was all double R's. Oh, and wow. I had to fight them to get this down to a single R. Because even when, even when I wanted one, they couldn't do it. They're like, no, we, we can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have them somewhere. I have a dinosaur book, and I can't remember what the other theme was, but those are great. It's literally just off camera right now. I actually, I read it every day. So. <laughs> He's looking at it now. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, yeah, Odd, your kids' names are, you know, those are going to be hard ones, too. His his kids' names are awesome, um, and also very Coming difficult. Coming from Odd. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Um, Question. I have, I have a Caucasian child, and I wanted to name her Shaniqua, but my wife squashed that one, so... Hey. There you go. So, but other than the whole magnet thing, Chris, um, tell us, you know, how many designs do you have going on in your head at once? What's in the, what stages are your games in? How do you manage your workflow as well as the development of other people's games? Because that must be a thing. And if zero is there, if there's a way to talk about this, I don't know what Ray would say. But do you have a an agreement in terms of your designs uh, while you're working for Calliope, and what happens to those? Does Calliope get first kick at the can, or or what? How does that work for you? I'm interested. Okay. With um, what you can say, you, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Don't. I'll start with I'll start with that part first. So um, we have an agreement that you know if I design something that he's got first shot at it, um, which is which is fine by me because you know obviously if it's a good enough game he's going to want to pick it up. Shucks, off. a publisher wants to see your game. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> I know. Um, however, Calliope is very specific about the types of games that that we put out. So they have to be gateway games. They have to be, you know, um, they have to accommodate a certain amount of people, you know, and, and uh, play quickly and, and be able to be learned quickly. And you can't, it can't be anything that a kid has to, a kid will want to play it, but the parent has to throw it to win, you know, or to lose or whatever it might be. Um, so the the great thing about that is, is he's very supportive about that. So if the game's not right for Calliope, he'll take a look at it and say, feel free to pitch it and and you know I can pitch it to anyone that I want and he's usually really supportive about that too um, and so he used to have uh, a company called Wells Expeditions um, which did a game called Arcane Legions which I don't oh, know oh I have it. that yeah so Arcane Legions was a miniatures game um, Zach or I'm sorry Jordan Wiseman was was big behind that too um, and he still loves Arcane Legions. I always wanted to go back and do that again. So um, a lot of designs, you know, I, I can tell a lot of the time he loves Calliope. That's where he's, his heart is in that. But I think that sometimes he wants to dig back into the more strategic stuff. So um, sometimes I'll pitch things and I can just see he's like, oh, I really would like to revive Wells Expeditions and do something. So Well, couldn't um, he make an imp like a second imprint or something? He has the distro chain and he has, he has the contacts now. I mean, 
I mean, he did then too, but just even better ones. It's. I think it's a situation where something like that. There's a lot of moving parts, and there's a ton of of. You have to build a community, and you have to sustain the community, and you have to keep things going in the background. So I think at this point, um, I think if if Calliope continues to to grow and do as well as it's doing, then there's a good chance that something could happen down the road. But it's probably something where uh, I think because he. He really, really loves the Calliope brand. I think he's not in a super rush to go back, but I think that sometimes in the in the quiet hours, he thinks about how he would love to get back to doing that kind of you know war type stuff again. Um, and for me, I've always got you know you mentioned uh, you know different games, and you asked about that. I think my output isn't where it used to be. I'm no Daryl Andrews, I'll put it that way. Uh, No one's coming to me asking me to design games for them uh, at this point, but I think it's just, you know, we, as designers, at least for me, there's, 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 there's times where you lie fallow a little bit. There's times where you just can't stop the ideas from coming. Um, There was a time, and I still have my notebooks full of different ideas from a few years back, and I think just the nature of life and everything right now uh, a lot more of what I do is is helping with other games and getting them going and you know just kind of meeting people uh, I've been in the industry now for a few years and I'm still getting to know a lot of you guys and um, and I think ideas will pop up in weird places and at you know based on weird ideas and things so uh, right now my my notebook is full of old ideas not so many new ideas but there's a few things in there Excellent. So more to come. People, stay tuned. <laughs> That's a threat, by the way. That's not dun, 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 dun. <laughs> And, I mean, we also, uh, it was a big change about, I think it was about a year ago, Matt, that you shifted to full-time. Yeah, it was about a year design. ago. Yeah. And, and I, I I see, like, that you've been doing more, more designs than before, obviously, because you've been able to free up. But could you talk a little bit about... Um, you know what the workflow changes have been for you. You know, a year a year and a half later. You know, yeah. what have you learned? What advice could you give to people that might have more time, or they're hoping to have more time? You know, maybe even it's just that pipe dream of you know someday I'll be able to you know uh, get less hours or take one day off from work. How do you use your time now um, oh, to design a, games? It's a huge relief now um, because I don't feel like I'm like stealing my time from something, whether it's my family or my job or, or what have you. So I can actually sit down and, and know that, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be working on this. I'm supposed to be writing the rules or or uh, watching the playtest videos or, or sketching or just goofing off with game components. Um, that's just uh, uh, something I never dreamed I'd be able to, to do. So um, uh, I don't know what Ferris Bueller say. I highly recommend it. It's choice. <laughs> 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 Um, so I don't know what I what I could say as far as um, uh, advice. I spend the evenings kind of making a list of my priorities for the morning, so that I can kind of let go and and shift gears and know that I've got a good plan for the following day. And I try to time box things up and and uh, be real careful about where my priorities are. Um, but I'm starting to get a rhythm of it, you know, with the different uh, production calendars that are that are you, you get a feel for how much time a certain playtest is going to take or how long it's going to take to revise rules or, or what have you. And uh, the different work has been falling into chunks that I, I better understand. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a groove and, and a rhythm to it. If that, if that makes any sense. No, that makes total sense. Well, speaking of making a living from it, I sent. Uh, I was watching uh, Tiny Epic Western uh, expand, expand, expand on Kickstarter, and I sent Michael a message and just said, you know what, dude? I said, if I could fund like that, I would just re- reviewing for like 10 years if I had that kind of money. Like, people just throwing money at you. It's like, ah. So, yeah, I would love to do it full-time, but, you know, family and that's the thing. Even to do it as full-time, it's like, well, i got to spend time with my daughter. Yeah, I'll do something with my wife or I'll do the laundry or I'll go grocery shopping, but I want to do games, games, games. So, Tyler, do you have a question? A last-minute nope. question for Chris. No. Nope. Yeah, you do. All right, Chris. What I want to know is, 
Oh, no. I don't have a question, actually. You put me on the spot. Agent wrote you the question. Oh, yeah. I can't read. The question. I have a question. What advice would you... Or does Daryl have a question? Someone tells me to say stuff, and I say how quickly. (laughs) What advice would you give to new designers? What advice would I give to new designers? Uh, Well... I would here's some advice I would give as as the person at Calliope now who who reviews submissions and and will take meetings and things like that and and having gone through it um, make sure that you research the the company the publisher that you are trying to submit to um, know what they're looking for don't send uh, some crazy war game to Calliope um, and when the time comes, don't go shotgun approach with what you're pitching. Uh, stick to one good design. If they like it, I guarantee they're going to say, do you have other things you might want to show us? Because I've got tons of friends who get a little uh, uh, crazy when they get their foot in the door a little to talk to a publisher and they want to just kind of go, blah, 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 I've got all this stuff. Here's my entire notebook. And what we want to see is, you know, like when I'm looking at this stuff, is, is has been a lot of thought been put into a game? You know, has it been play tested? Has it been uh, brought to a point where it's really ready to take the next step? So um, there's, from a, from a publisher's standpoint, that's, that would be my advice. Um, you know, sometimes we see people get a little too crazy with all the kinds of different submissions that they want to put in. And then you know the the standard stuff play test play test play test as a designer yeah can't play test enough uh, okay Matt my question to you is okay so what would you tell a new designer about what advice would you give them to make the number one game on Board Game Geek <laughs> <laughs> no really seriously like what would you say <laughs> okay no let's 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 backtrack um, so if you if you were to do this all again Matt because I've asked you this question before on other things, so I'm not going to ask you the, the advice question. But if you had this all to do all over again, what would you change? Is there anything you would change in your your history or your path to where you are now to get to be a full-time game designer? That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I, I can think of some mistakes that I made along the way, but I'm not sure I would do them differently because I learned from them. I mean, I, I tried to self-publish in 2000, and that was, I mean, that was a money-losing affair. That was ridiculous. But in the process, I met lots of really great people, and the investment that I made was was very small. You know, when you think about um, the relationships that I got out of it. So, uh, yeah, I don't spend a whole lot of time looking back. I don't really have any regrets about any of it, really. I mean, most of it has been just one long journey of uh, fun surprises after another. Just uh, like a legacy game. God. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You're like opening doors on your life, and your cards come out. Some some things come out that I'm not going to mention. It's like a self-publishing card. It feels like I've been really lucky. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, Just burn that self-publishing card. That's right. That's great. Um, And so on that note, you know, I I think that's uh, that's a really neat perspective that. Mistakes and failing forward is something we do in game design, but it's also something that I think a lot of us have done in life. That we've all had missteps. We've all, you know, published with the wrong publisher or not gone to a convention that we probably should have gone to or whatnot. But in the end, our games get out there, and it's through, you know, really just sticking to it and and making sure that you're having a good time while you're doing it and it's not a slog. So uh, with that Thanks, note, I'm going to pass it over to Daryl. Yes? Am I making you uh, shed single tears Dad, there? You're, you're bringing the heartfelt moment there. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's my job. I, I am the heart and soul of the show. Uh, Daryl is the brains and the bronze and the good looks, so I'm going to let Daryl I'm Darryl a monkey! Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond sometimes, but that's why we love you. So, I don't know how to respond to that That's exactly why you're here and and it makes me happy. So, with that said, I want to say thanks to both Matt and Chris for taking the time with us to chat. Really appreciate it. Great stuff. I uh, hope uh, our viewers uh, will uh, watch. If you didn't watch live, hopefully you'll um, catch this either on iTunes, where we're uh, 
Or you can listen to us, or you can catch us on YouTube, or you can find us on our website. Yeah, thanks, at Steve. Uh, we'll Stay tuned. Next week, we have um, Travis Chance uh, from Action Phase Games and Jim Pinto uh, both chatting to us. Just, uh, I, I, they have a couple Kickstarters going on, but also just I love that they are very opinionated game designers. So we're going to try to get them on a few rants. So if you know Travis Chance on a rant, I know what? shocking. So if you know some hot good thing there's a time delay. <laughs> if you know some hot button topics that you know will just get them ranting, send those ideas to us this week because we want to see, you know, the boxing match of Travis Chance versus Jim Pinto on opinions of game design. I think it's gonna be a hilarious show. You do not want to miss that. So I'll have to tell the story in the after party here. Awesome, awesome. All right. So with that, uh, stay tuned also for the after show. We'll be on soon. Till then, keep designing great games. We look forward to trying them soon.